Welcome to the Property Magic Podcast. My name is Simon Zucci, and in this podcast, I'm going to deep dive into the property investing strategies and investor mindset for my book, Property Magic. I will also share real estate investing hints, tips, and tricks, which I normally only share on my Property Mastermind Mentorship. Hello, and welcome to episode number 41 of the Property Magic Podcast in which I'm going to talk about the stamp duty holiday and the effect on your investing. Also, we're going to look more generally about government intervention and legislation and the effects it has on your investing. And also, why do the government make these changes? You see, over the last few years, there have been a number of interventions because fundamentally, the government don't want to have millions of individual landlords providing accommodation for the private rental sector. They would much rather have companies and institutions because they feel they're much easier to tax and legislate against. And we'll come back to this later on in this podcast. Also, as a conservative government, they want to encourage home ownership. And in fact, this latest stamp duty holiday is a great example of that. So on the 8th of July, the Chancellor announced that there's going to be a stamp duty holiday in England and Wales for purchases up to £500,000 until the 31st of March 2021. Now, investors and second-time buyers still have to pay the extra 3% stamp duty, and this was first introduced by George Osborne back in April 2016. And the reason he introduced this was apparently to level the playing field. Very often, property investors get a lot of bad publicity for buying all of these cheap houses and um, taking away the opportunity from first-time buyers. And yes, that's true. Maybe some investors do buy cheap houses. But as you become a more sophisticated investor, you might do strategies such as HMOs. And actually, an HMO, a larger house like that, is not the type of property that a first-time buyer is going to buy. So actually, I don't really buy into this argument about leveling the playing field. Actually, I just think it's another way for the government to raise extra revenue from property investors. Now, when this was introduced back in April 2016, many people said, oh no, it's the end of property investing. It's not going to stack up anymore. But you know what? The serious investors, we just factor this into the buying costs and make sure we negotiate an even better deal because we've got to pay this extra 3% stamp duty. So what is stamp duty? Well, the full name is actually stamp duty land tax, which is often abbreviated to SDLT stamp duty land tax or just shortened to stamp duty now the stamp duty rates are different in scotland and wales so what i'm talking about really refers to england and northern ireland now the amount of stamp duty that you used to have to pay before this holiday came in varied on the value of the transaction and this does change uh, occasionally uh, in the budgets they they change these rates and also this is an example where government intervention affects the housing market because it creates an artificial price ceiling so for example um the the rates prior to this stamp duty holiday below 125,000 there was no stamp duty or oh, actually there was but it was a zero rate 
So what that meant was in many areas, when the properties were around the 125, 130,000 mark, often sellers, even if the property was worth 130, they'd put it on for just under 125 to make it more attractive to buyers because it was 0% stamp duty. Likewise, 250 is another um, psychological price barrier. And many years ago, it used to be 500,000 as well. However, they have now adjusted all the rates. So below 125 was a 0% rate. 125,000 and one pound up to 250,000 was 2%. And this is a proportional tax. So on the first 125, a buyer would pay nothing. On the the difference on the 125 from 125 to 250, they'd pay 2%. From 250,000 and one pound up to 100, uh, up to 925,000, they'd pay 5%. From 925 up to 1.5 million, they'd pay 10%. And over 1.5 million, they'd pay an eye-watering 12% stamp duty. If you think about it, this is just completely free money for the government for doing absolutely nothing whenever a property changes hands. Now, most solicitors, to work out the stamp duty that you need to pay when you're buying, they'll just use a stamp duty calculator online. And many of them are completely unaware of all the exemptions that exist in stamp duty. In fact, there's a company called Cornerstone who speak on the property investor network uh, circuit, and they specialize in helping people who have paid stamp duty, maybe unnecessarily, and they get the sum of the stamp duty back. So there are lots of different reliefs. Let me give you one very common one, uh, which is called uh, SDLT relief for multiple dwellings. So you can claim relief when you buy more than one dwelling where a transaction uh, or a number of linked transactions include freehold or leasehold interests in more than one dwelling. So you can claim relief and basically work out the rate that the HMRC are going to charge you by dividing the total amount of properties um, by the number of dwellings and then work out the tax due on this figure and then multiply the amount by the number of dwellings. So um, what this means is, let's say you have a million pound block you're buying and there's actually five dwellings in there. Well, each dwelling would be um, 200,000 and thus you work out the stamp duty payable on 200,000 and multiply it by five instead of working out the stamp duty on a million. Now there is, this is subject to a minimum of 1%, uh, but this can save you a lot of money, particularly if you're buying blocks of flats or you're doing freehold to leasehold strategy, which I've talked about in a previous uh, episode of the Property Magic podcast. Now, as I said, most solicitors are completely unaware of many of these exemptions. So if you have bought a property in the past, it might be worth checking with one of these companies, and I'll put a link in the show notes for you, um, that actually can look into it for you. And there might be cash that you've paid in the past that you could get back. So a nice little tip for you to look into. So um, there's all sorts of uh, legislation. Let's talk on a, a more general scale about some of the legislation that the government have brought in and the impact that has on the property market. So um, in the 2008 election, I think it was, um, the government, the coalition, talked about wanting to introduce um, a, a system where local councils 
could, if they wanted to, remove permitted development rights for HMOs. So in many areas, you could take a normal house, three bed terrace, let's say, and turn it into a six bed HMO without planning permission, because you could do it under permitted development. And it is a change of planning class. A normal residential house is a C4 classification, sorry, C3 classification, and an HMO is a C4 classification. So normally to change from one planning classification to another, you need to get planning permission. But this was permitted development, which meant you were allowed to do it without planning. However, in many areas, local councils felt there was too much, um, too many HMOs. So the, the, government gave local councils the ability to introduce Article 4. And what that means is it's a removal of the permitted development rights. So this first came in in some parts of the country in 2012. Some councils automatically put in on the entire city. Um, many councils didn't bother to do anything. Some councils did a partial Article 4 in certain areas where they felt there were too many HMOs. Now, it's important for you to find out from your local council, from the planning department, if you want to do HMOs, if it's an Article 4 area or not. Because what it means is if you buy a house in an Article 4 area and you want to turn it into an HMO, you'd need to get planning permission. Now, actually, most councils will automatically refuse you that planning permission because they don't want more HMOs. That doesn't mean you can't get planning. If it meets all the criteria, you could appeal and you might well get planning permission. A strategy that many of my students use is if they want to buy a property in an Article 4 area, they might secure it on a purchase option, then apply for the planning, which will be rejected, go for the appeal, which will hopefully go through if it meets the criteria. Once they've got the full planning permission, they then exercise that purchase option and they then buy the property. Um, there are also lots of opportunities within Article 4. Um, if you look at the boundary where the Article 4 is, there might be properties uh, that are just outside the Article 4 area on a street where there are actually other HMOs that are in the Article 4 area, what that means is those could be a great potential. And actually, what happens was when councils bring Article 4 in, they have to give people notice. And normally, you get a load of investors swarm into that area and buy properties, turn them into HMOs before Article 4 comes in. So the council brought this in to try and stop the number of HMOs, but it often backfires and gets more HMOs into that area. So it's just an example of legislation which doesn't always achieve what it's meant to achieve. Um, then, um, then let's look at Article 4 very briefly. So this came in in April 2017, and this is where the government decided that they wanted to change the way that we as property investors are taxed. Now, historically, people would always own property in their own name. That was the most tax efficient way of doing it. However, Section 24 changes that. So if you own property in your own name, and if you are a higher rate taxpayer, which many investors are, and if you have a mortgage on the property, which most investors do, fundamentally it means you're gonna be paying more tax than you were paying prior to section 24 was brought in. If you are a lower rate taxpayer, you may not be affected. If you own property in a company structure, at the moment you are not affected by section 24. So what this means is this was done to encourage 
um, when people buy property, instead of doing it in their own name, to do it in a company structure, which is probably the best tax way for most people moving forward. So this was the government's move to make it easier to legislate and tax against companies and corporations instead of individuals. Um, now, by the way, this is actually a massive opportunity for you because there are many long-term landlords who might've been a landlord for 15, 20 years, and their exit was at one point to sell their properties and retire on a big pile of money. Well, actually, those landlords are now facing a situation where they've got all the same amount of work and hassle that they currently had managing their properties because they're very active doing that. They don't get letting agents typically. They're, they're doing it themselves. They've got all this effort and suddenly they're gonna pay a lot more tax on their properties. Now, some of them have moved their properties into companies or limited liability structures. They've taken tax advice, which is what you should absolutely do if you have a portfolio. Um, however, many have said, you know what? I was gonna retire in eight, 10 years. I might bring that decision forward and retire over the next few years. So actually there are loads of landlords that are looking to sell properties that may not have been available. For example, in Article 4 areas, where we thought it's really difficult to get into an Article 4 area, suddenly there were properties becoming available because of these landlords who actually want to retire. Now you might think, well, hang on a minute. If this landlord is selling a property that's not really making much money for them anymore, they're paying lots of tax, why on earth would I as a new investor want to buy that? Well, remember, the landlord who's selling might be owning in their own name, so they are affected by Section 24, whereas moving forward, if you're buying in a company structure, you're not affected by Section 24. So this means you can buy the very same property with the same tenants paying the same rent and yet you can make more money in your company than that landlord will make as an individual because of the tax changes due to Section 24. So this is actually a huge opportunity for us. Then next legislation that affects the market was in October 2018. The government changed the, reg uh, the regulations around HMO licensing. So if you have an HMO, which is three or more unrelated people living in the property, that's the technical definition, you may or may not need a license. Now this does vary from area to area and council to council. So again, it's very important you check with your local council, the licensing department, their interpretation of the national guidelines. But the national guidelines prior to October 2018 used to be, if you had a house with five or more people and on three or more floors, then you would need to get a license. If it was five people on two floors, you may not need a license. If it was um, four people on three floors, you may not need a license. It was five people and on three floors, okay? But then in October 2018, they dropped the requirement for the three floors. So generally, five or more people and you absolutely need a license. And again, in some areas, Council have said three or more people because they're going with the strict definition of an HMO, which is three or more unrelated people. So again, you need to check with the local council. What this means is that about an extra 175,000 rental properties, which were HMOs that didn't require licensing before, now need licensing. Now, when this licensing came in, this, this new uh, requirement for five or more people need license, they also brought in some regulations around room sizes. And there are minimum room sizes that qualify for an HMO. 
So the national guideline for a single room is 6.51 square meters. And if it's a double room, it's 10.22 square meters. But again, some councils have got different interpretations. I know some councils say they want a minimum in every room of 10 square meters. So again, you need to check with your local council HMO licensing department to check on minimum room sizes. Now, this is something you need to be careful of if you're looking to buy HMOs from landlords who are looking to retire. There are lots of estate agents that might say, hey, this is a six bed licensed HMO for sale. And it might well have been licensed back in 2017 maybe, and that license is still valid because generally licenses are five years. However, if it was before October 2018, where they changed the number of people for a license and they changed the room sizes, you need to be very careful because that property that was a six bed license HMO, maybe one or two of the rooms are actually a bit too small. So whenever the owner comes to renew the license after five years, in this case, let's say in 2022, they may not get a license for six people because maybe only four of the rooms are actually big enough. And yet you've got an estate agent who doesn't understand this kind of thing telling you that this is a six bed licensed HMO. And when you buy the property, you'd need to get a new license and you might get a bit of a shock if only four of the rooms you can actually rent out and you did your calculations based on six. So it's just a little thing I want you to be aware of. You've got to make sure you understand these things to avoid mistakes. And then finally, a bit of government interaction, which I think was actually a really good thing, but it's definitely going to have an effect on the housing market. When COVID-19 pandemic hit, the government reacted very, very quickly. And what they said was that if you are a tenant, you can potentially have up to a three-month rental holiday if you want. And if you're a landlord, you can have a three-month mortgage holiday. Now, unfortunately, there was a real knee-jerk reaction here. Many landlords thought, this is great. I'm going to get a, a three-month uh, mortgage payment holiday. It doesn't mean you don't pay the mortgage. It means you delay the payment and usually they're added on to the end of the mortgage. But I put out some videos uh, about this. So if you're not subscribed to my YouTube channel, I recommend you go look up Simon Zucci and subscribe. And I said on there, look guys, I don't think you should take out these mortgage holidays unless you need to, of course. You know, if your cash flow is really tight, um, then okay, use it if you need to. But actually, if you've read my book, Property Magic, and you follow the five golden rules, Golden rule number five is always have a cash buffer. So what that means is if for any reason you're not getting rental income coming in or there's some damage in the property that's not covered by insurance, you've got enough money to fix that problem. And in fact, there is a podcast episode all about the five golden rules. I highly recommend you go back and listen to that because if you follow them, you'll minimize the amount of risk you take. So anyway, there are some people who automatically said, I'm going to get this um, three-month mortgage holiday. And because of that, right now, if you're on a mortgage holiday, most lenders will not give you a remortgage or even a new mortgage on a property because you've basically said to the lender, hey, um, you know, I can't pay my mortgage. I need to get a holiday. And obviously, no lender in their right mind is probably going to give you money when you're on a mortgage holiday. So you've got to be really careful about when the government say things and people react, there might be some consequences. What also the government have done is obviously, rather than so many people being made unemployed, they put 
this furlough scheme out, which I think is actually an excellent move by the government. Uh, people are paid 80% of the salary. They go home, they're not working. Um, and actually most people who are at home on furlough, they're not spending as much as they would when they're working because they're not commuting to work. They're not spending money on lunches and coffees. And actually for a couple of months, you couldn't really spend any money at all. So most people I know who've been on furlough have actually saved money. But there's a big concern because furlough scheme is going to end in October 2020. And my concern is when that happens that many businesses who've got team and staff on furlough right now, those businesses might not be around. They might decide they don't need as many people. I think millions and millions of people could be made unemployed overnight. And that is going to have a massive effect on the economy. And that's one of the reasons that the government has bought in this legislation about stamp duty. They are terrified that we're going to have a market crash and the impact that's going to have on the economy. The Bank of England have predicted we're going to get a 16% drop in prices. So it's going to be interesting to see what this intervention by the government actually does. Um, you know, I. I don't know what's going to happen. No one knows. Um, I think it will stimulate the property market. I think people who've been thinking about buying uh, may now want to try and buy. But also there'll be people who've been thinking about selling who might say, hey, I'm going to put my mark my property on the market now because it's going to be easier to sell it than it was before. So I think there'll be a whole flood of property also comes onto the market, which obviously will also cause further drop in prices if there's not enough demand to buy that property. So ultimately, we're going to have to wait and see what happens. Uh, but it's really interesting when the government kind of intervenes to try and help us all out. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't quite work the way they expect it. So I do hope that um, this podcast has been useful for you. If you've got value from this, I'd love it if you can give me a five-star review and put you know, what you actually enjoyed about the podcast because that then helps other people find it and hopefully benefit from this training they're getting. So until next time, remember to always invest with knowledge, invest with skill. Thanks for listening to the Property Magic Podcast. To get this week's show notes, please visit www.propertymagicbook.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can contact me via LinkedIn. You can follow me on social media. And I highly recommend you subscribe to my YouTube channel to watch loads of valuable property trading for free. All of the details are available in the show notes. Until next time, invest with knowledge, invest with skill.